You're listening to Straight Shooters, a straightforward golf podcast that'll straighten out your game. And here are your hosts, Keith Bennett and Henry Statina. All right, Callum, thanks for joining us here today on the uh, Straight Shooters podcast. Um, Keith Bennett and myself, we've kind of uh, been following your career a little bit since you've come through the uh, New Mexico ranks, the Sun Country section. And we're kind of interested just to hear a little bit as to how you've gotten to where you are and some of the things that you've done along the way. Maybe pass that along to our listeners. Um, we think that maybe you have a, a little bit more of a non-traditional route and, and a quick acceleration to the top. So um, if you don't mind maybe sharing with us a, a couple minute background story as to uh, where you come from and how you got to where you are. Sure. Um, from Scotland, not far from Glen Eagles. Um, played a bunch of junior stuff bit more um, local as opposed to national things wasn't quite good enough to get into kind of the national squads that kind of developed guys that direction so um, a new guy that went to western New Mexico um, my dad reached out to his family and got in contact with coach Beatty um, and ended up going out there initially on an academic scholarship and then played well enough to get golf as well so that was nice Um, and then kind of just gradually got a little better every year through my four years there um had a good senior year and then coach suggested I I think I'd already um asked to be the assistant coach I kind of had I liked the idea of kind of staying out longer and um continuing on on being involved in the team even if it wasn't playing and coach suggested if I do that that I join the Sun Country PGA um haven't had a good um senior year and just see how I like it and if I can do okay and then played in with you guys for a little bit um did well on some of them, so tried some state opens, did well on some of them, so then um, tried to do Q school for the web at that time, but unsuccessfully, um, and then got lucky and uh, went through the couple US Open stages and got into that one, and that's kind of where doors opened. I got uh, some invites from a management company in the, in Scotland for a challenge tour, so I got my seven invites and got pretty lucky on my fifth start and won one of those. So then that got me full status for the rest of the year um, and the next year. And then I didn't get my card from that half of a season I played and then got through the challenge tour in 2019, my first full season on that and finished um, in the graduating class onto the European tour for 2020. And then just finished my first few year on that. Yeah. And you had a big week last week, didn't you? Tell us a little bit about yeah. that. Yeah, it was good. That was the highest finish I've had on European tour and it was in a decent field as well. So it was nice to um, have that come about, especially being the last guy in the field. My category, um, although it's a pretty good category coming through the Challenge Tour, um, hasn't really reached all of these first three events. I just think the way they've gone this year, for whatever reason, um, I was second last man in Abu Dhabi, which is good. And then didn't get into the Dubai Desert Classic. I uh, was maybe seventh reserve by the end of it. And I was the last man in Saudi Arabia. So just even to get in two of the three of these big events at the start of the year for the European Tour schedule was huge. And then to play well um, in a couple of them isn't too bad either. Yeah, holy smoke. So you're the last man into the field last week at the Saudi International. Yeah. And then you accelerated at the last minute making eagle on the last hole right yeah. <laughs> to get t4th yeah. yeah tied fourth yeah so that was nice that was a bunch of race to dubai points which is good wow so i think the moral of that story is you just got to have a have a spot in the field and then you can do something with it huh yeah exactly just get the chance to play and um, see what you can do with it so 
I like how you said, uh, well, kind of like how you said that after finishing college, your coach, Coach Beatty, recommended that you join the Sun Country PGA, and mm-hmm. then you did pretty well against us. That, mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember you were waxing us, winning <laughs> everything. Um, and, you guys what, had to work the whole time, and I just played golf, so it was a little bit Ah, <laughs> the truth comes out. <laughs> yeah, you won, what, San Juan Open and Arizona Open? Yeah, there were a couple of state opens during the summer, yeah. That's, so, so you said you got to Western on an academic scholarship. You kind of worked your mm-hmm. way up. And then just at your senior years, when you kind of rose as a golfer and, and yeah, uh, all my, of a sudden my, started winning everything. Yeah, my spring semester, I did really well. I kind of went from having a pretty crappy fall as a senior, maybe like a 73 to 74 stroke average. And then went home at Christmas, got a lesson, something clicked and came back. And I think I averaged 69 or 70 after that one a couple of tournaments which I hadn't done before um then ended up finishing second at the made it to the national championship individually finished second there and finished third in division two individual rankings and it was a pretty good run of form for like a kind of four month period um especially at the kind of time as well seeing it's like your last semester of college golf so I think coaches notice that if guys are kind of pressured to feel like they want to play or not, um, you can sometimes have poor senior years because you're kind of putting all that pressure on yourself. And whereas I didn't really have that expectation to play, I was kind of more just, I didn't expect to kind of play professional afterwards until I had that very good semester. Then it kind of was like, oh, well, maybe I could give us a go and see what happens. So <laughs> yeah, he suggested, you know, come be my, or be my assistant, join the um, Sun Country PGA, you know, practice with the guys and see how it goes. That's crazy, man. Wild story. I mean, just like kind of what, what all of the assistant pros and, you know, people working uh, sort of in the sections around the country are sort of all hoping to do at some point, you know, really, um, you know, we hear that a lot from people like something clicked, like you just alluded to something clicked and I came back and my scoring average was 69.70. Yeah. Was there anything in particular? Was it a, a mental revelation? Was it something technique-wise that allowed you to control your golf ball a little bit more, or, or was it just a, a, a maturing process? What do you think it, it ultimately was? If you can reflect yeah, back, probably on? probably a little bit of mental and um, kind of course management stuff, and then that definitely technique-wise, um, something in my golf swing after getting a couple of lessons over the Christmas period and coming back for the spring final semester. Um, started hitting it really good instead of kind of going a bit hooky I started kind of maybe hitting it really straight to like a little fade um and I just my stats went up really high I started hitting a lot of fairways and maybe averaging like 15 greens around and, and then you can put average and if your miss isn't too bad get up and down a couple of times and make some shoot some under par score so yeah I think it was just a little bit both maybe a little mental but most of the time I noticed is that my ball striking improved a lot just a little thing just for whatever reason that's the way it happened Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we've all been there when you have a little, you know, something in practice or something that you've been working on really starts Mm -hmm. to cement itself. Um, As far as course management goes, were you finding that you were playing more aggressively to make more, more birdies, or were you finding that you were, you know, able to stay more patient on a golf course? You know, what, what was Mm -hmm. like translating there as far as your decision-making on a course goes? Yeah, I don't think, um, my aggressiveness changed. I think it was the ability to be more patient because I hit more shots where I was aiming. I had more control of it. So that always when, I missed, <laughs> when I missed it, it was kind of very minute. That It made the up and downs kind of short. So they're easy up and down. So then you're getting up and down more often. 
you kind of biased your short game stats to make it look like you're good at chipping and putting, but really you're just kind of not hitting it that far offline. So you're right yourself relatively easy up and downs. It was mostly that. And then I don't think I made a huge amount more birdies or anything. I think it was just that I just minimized the errors. Yeah. We tell Henry and I tell that people all the time and, and, you know, we, we follow and have learned that the decade system that Scott Fawcett has, yeah, that's good has put into place. And that sounds a lot of what you're describing is like, you know, we, you actually lower your scores by eliminating doubles and bogeys. And I think it's like, you know, going from 90 down to like 78, those, those number of shots there has yeah. only like one or two birdies in there is really what it's all about. It's all about eliminating doubles and, and bogeys. So that's probably cool for the listener uh, who's, you know, an aspiring better player to hear that, like you really stepped up your game, not by just because you were making more birdies and Eagles, cause you're playing more reckless, but mm-hmm. you were just more, you know, missing it in better spots your, your, your dispersion pattern obviously got tighter mm-hmm. and and therefore you know your up and downs became a lot easier yeah definitely it was just um ball control i mean if you're winning golf tournaments you're obviously making a bunch of purges at some point but for the general of course process, yeah as a whole like uh, throughout a course of a year of a period if you're managing your mistakes handling them then you're you'll do pretty well Right. Yeah. You get a hot putter and all of a sudden, you know, mm. you're making five, six, seven birdies around and you're not making more than one bogey and yeah, it adds up pretty quick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So staying on that topic on course management, can you tell us a little bit as to how you prepare for a tournament and maybe how that's changed since college? Um, yeah, I think it's wildly different. You get, um, it goes from just, you know, playing a golf course with your teammates and using a rangefinder to then being given a, you know, a course guide that, or not uh, a stroke saver or some sort of book that has it every single hole, so much information on it, you know, lines off a tee, you no longer are, are allowed to use your bush and all. So, but the numbers on the book are great. They're never really, they're always pretty um, spot on. Um, but just going through it that way, um, fi- figuring out where you can play from angles for misses around the green kind of, always chipping around the greens and areas where it's kind of you maybe hope not to hit it but you want to have a shot there just in case you do and then um putting around the greens are a big thing just kind of learning some slopes and some speeds um teacher green's not massively important i'd say you're more kind of figuring out where you want to hit it as opposed to um like line and distance just trying to figure out sometimes you'd be like well it could be a three wood here or a driver most of the time it's pretty TT Green's relatively self-explanatory, but just once you get around the green, it's just kind of learning um, the greens for that week. And then also how far you're hitting it, depending on elevation and kind of temperature and things. Yeah. I want to, um, talking about that, that working around the greens, chipping and putting, mm-hmm. right. I find a lot of people when I go play in practice rounds in like a state open and I maybe get paired with an amateur golfer, not one of us PGA professionals, you know, I see them practicing chip shots a lot from places where I'm like, and you, I mean, if you put it there to that whole location, you're pretty toast. You know, it might it might be a better idea to chip from a spot where, okay, if that pins back right, maybe you chip from front left or left side of the green and get an idea mm-hmm. for for kind of maybe where you would want to hopefully m- miss to yeah, a whole definitely. location like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, I find a lot of people are, are practicing like big flop shots and open, you know, open face lob wedge shots around the green do you are you practicing those types of shots as well obviously you got to be prepared for everything but you know ideally you're not you don't want to be you know practicing missing short-sighted too often i would imagine yeah. um, i think because your your time's limited you've always got a group behind you or something that's 
you know, you know, you only get a certain amount of time in the hole. So being the most efficient you can, having, say, your caddy, if you've been to the course before or know where the pin positions have been in the past, him putting out the spots where the pins are and then you're chipping around in areas that you'd hope to miss it to or if it's par five, say, hope to lay up to or, or no, places where you're hoping to get up and down from. And then occasionally, you know, like <clears throat> if you have a certain miss, you know that you have a miss in a certain direction and it's, that's your most common miss then. If there is um, a position where it is short-sided and you want to just have a couple chips there just to get an idea of what it reacts like because there is a possibility that you might hit it there even though you hope not to. But I'd say the majority of time spent on um, areas that you hope to hit it, not ones that you hope not to hit it. Right, yeah, that's exactly what I thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, I want to go back a little bit if we could to just that mindset of like when you got into Saudi, right? Mm-hmm. being the last man in i mean how, how does that mindset change when you're like going from not not knowing you're in the field to okay now i gotta tee it up on the first tee are you like fully prepared for that week obviously or is that kind of a little bit of a shock to the system so to speak no so uh, i guess i didn't find it too bad it was the same in abu dhabi um the first event of the year i, I show up on the i think i got to abu dhabi on the sunday saturday on the monday um but you're kind of going there and you just go through your routine as normal. You are on site as a, I was first reserve in both of them. Um, you're on site as reserve and you just go through your routine and preparation as you normally would. And if you get a text saying you're, you're in the field now, then that's great. And if not, um, at least you've gone about things as a normal tournament so that you're prepared. If you kind of, if you are playing both of the times I got a text, I think on Abu Dhabi, I got a text on Tuesday night to say I was in. So, I mean, you have a day to, you know, you're going about your business and then on, I think in Saudi, it was on Tuesday midday as well. So both of them, I found out on Tuesday that I was in the field, but you're kind of just going about your business as you you would and should properly um, normally as if you're going to play. Could you ever get a text like Wednesday night or, or Thursday morning? Or is that oh, yeah. like, oh yeah, that would be crazy. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, the crappiest position to be in is first reserve on site. So um, you haven't quite made it into the field yet. So you have to show up an hour before the first tea time in case the first group pulls out. And then you have to stay the whole day in case one guy gets injured or just decides not to play. Right. I haven't, I've been in that position once, but I was third reserve or something. So, um, that wasn't too bad. You're fine. <laughs> Sorry. Girlfriend's coming in there. No that's worries. quite, that's quite the position to be in when you're, when you're on the alternate list like that to show up to a tournament to prepare like you're going to be in the field without having any certainty of, of actually being in it. Yeah. Yeah. That, I think being usually there's maybe one or two places of movement from say a Sunday before maybe somebody say the winner might not always play the next week or there's just something, there's always maybe one spot that moves. So you kind of feel confident that you will maybe just get into the field last second Um so it's best to prefer, prepare as though you are going to, but um, then you can have the uncertainty. You can be sitting around on Thursday morning, you know, at five something a.m. just waiting the whole day to see if somebody pulls out, which a lot of the times nobody does when it gets to Thursday, obviously, unless there's an injury or something. Um, that one's a crappy, that's a crappy spot to be <laughs> Yeah. A long well, day of kind of just disappointment, but uh, otherwise it's not too bad. So I'm sure last week helped you elevate your status a little bit. Um, what do the next few weeks look like in terms of tournaments? And then what are you doing in terms of practice? What are your weeks and training sessions like? Yeah, um, it hasn't had a direct impact on my status at the moment. And there's no reshuffling on the European circuit. So mm. what you have is 
what you get. I think if you're in the top 10 on the Race of the Buyer rankings, you can actually maybe get in an event. But I think from now until a couple Rolex events, maybe in June, July, I'll get into every event with no worries. So these are, it was just these first few that were kind of a little on the edge and now it should be fine, you know, um, until kind of June, July time. There's a couple of events around there that you might, might be on the edge of as well. Um, but for Qatar is the next event, which is the second week of March. So now until then, um, kind of a couple of weeks, I'll just be practicing out here. Usually it's kind of a, I'm not the early riser, maybe a 10 a.m., 10.30 start, maybe somewhere <laughs> between 10 and 11, and then at the golf course till, you know, 4 or 5 p.m., something like that, um, just practicing or playing in between that and then come back and do a gym session and um, relax. And that's, yeah, that's kind of pretty much how my day goes. What does your uh, typical day of practice look like? Are you more of a go play golf uh, with maybe, you know, money game or some sort of, you know, reason to shoot a score or are you more uh, like to hit balls and, and work around the greens type stuff? Yeah, I'm on my weeks off, I think, because you play so much throughout a year or this is how I feel anyway, that when I get a week off, I like to work on things that I feel like I need to work on, things that need to improve. So I spend the majority of my time putting in the hours on the range or the putting green or things like that. And then I'll play, you know, nine holes here or there and an odd 18, just if, you know, I get a text from my buddy saying, you want to come out and play? And I'll be like, yeah, sure. Um, but the majority of my time is spent working um, and improving aspects of my game. Um, I guess if it ever got to the stage where I felt like everything was firing all cylinders in, I'd probably play most of the time and find things to compete in to try and, you know, just stay sharp. But um, currently I'm just kind of, working on the airs that I feel like can be sharpened up a little bit before playing next time and then I'll just throw in a couple nine holes here and there I, I would say if I played 36 holes in a week that'd probably be quite a lot during this period of time gotcha and are you using stats and things from the season to kind of direct your practice to tell you this needs a little bit of work or is it your own just kind of gut feeling about your game are you more analytical or are you more just kind of overall sense of where you're at I have decade. Um, I've been horrendous at inputting my stats, uh, <laughs> like really pathetic. Um, but I think it is a good thing to look at. It definitely shows you kind of. I think most of the time, I feel like as a golfer, you have, I, you should be pretty clear on what you've done poorly. Um, but stats can kind of identify specific areas of that section. It might be your putting. You don't think you putted well, but it could show that you're actually you're just your mid range putting was poor. So then you practice more of that kind of area. Same for into the green, you could think you hit your irons poorly, but really it was approach shots from 140 to 180 that were poor. There's just certain areas. Um, so I've done a bad job with that. However, I think it's a good tool. Definitely decades are different. Definitely. So, however, I'm not that good at the, um, I don't fully understand the shot dispersion to aiming to, you know, rating hazards and things and how far that, dis how that changes your, um, Oh, your your target. Yeah, your target, which I haven't really figured out. But I think the the decade stats as a whole is a good system. But right now, I've, my swing coach is um, just working on kind of the same continuous progress stuff that we've been working on for a while. So it's nice to do a bit of drilling on that, and then working on a bit of putting things that I've been working on, just kind of continually putting the reps in on the things that I've been practicing. Yeah. So so leading up to this next tournament, it's about a month out. Do you do anything in terms of prep for that event? Do you look at the golf course, what's coming up, and, and kind of prepare that way? Um, 
not particularly. I think I've now I'm in the fortunate position where I've played all the courses before. Mm. So having that kind of the COVID year for me on the European tour is actually really nice. So it gave me kind of like a, a buy for the first year. I got to play all the courses or the majority of the courses, you know, the schedule kind of got skewed a little bit. Got to play the majority of the courses and with no real pressure or or consequence, I guess. There wasn't the everyone on the European tour was given they maintained the status they had. So whatever status you had, you could only improve it if you won. Otherwise you got you kept the same status. And then 2021 starts as of Abu Dhabi was the first ranking event where now it starts again. Instead of the PGA, which are wraparound, I think they're super seasons, you know, they're big massive ones where kind of the whole thing goes into your status. Um, so it's nice to play all the courses. So I've played Qatar before. After Qatar, there's two weeks in Kenya, but they're on the same golf course. I think that's one of them was a... Um, a quick addition there's a, always going to be a, a tournament in Kenya but they've made two weeks on the same course as an addition because Oman got cancelled due to COVID they shut their borders so they've added another event in Kenya just to kind of keep the total tournaments up on the schedule but I played both those courses before so it's nice to be able to travel there have an idea of what the course is like and you know what to expect once you get out there. Would you say that course knowledge, like how many strokes would you say maybe for you that, you know, kind of contributes to like going back a second year, having known sort of what the whole layout is, maybe the green landscape, you know, is that, do you feel like that's worth a couple of shots right there or, or is it more of just a comfort thing? Like I kind of know visually like my sight lines off the tees and things that maybe I didn't quite have dialed in last year. Yeah, I think uh, it's probably it's probably not different from anyone who plays a course and then say they go at, back to it like you know a few months later or something. It's just a nice comfort basis of being knowing what to expect. Yeah. So like I said, you know the green complexes, you know the lines of the tees, you know the majority of clubs are going to hit. It just means that your practice rounds can come a lot more about you know shots around the greens or things that you just want to kind of like touch up on as opposed to learning the entire process. Right. Knowing, you know going through every single hole figuring out what you're hitting off the tee where the good misses around the greens you know um because or most most courses shorts good but it can be different i think it just means that your time is less rushed yeah absolutely i mean i i was thinking about taking that approach of working more around the greens in the practice rounds you know, for my section events coming up this summer, mm -hmm. it just makes so much sense. Right. I mean, with, with a G, you know, with GPS satellite images, you can take a look at the hole and you, you can have a pretty darn good idea of where you're going to line up your driver, or where the center of your shot dispersion should be to avoid mm -hmm. any stupid misses or anything in that regard. And really it's just stepping up and, and hitting the same shot at a different target, right. On mm -hmm. a tee box mm -hmm. or, you know, that's not the crazy part typically. Um, but I think, and that's a huge one. I think for, again, to reiterate for the listeners is like figuring out the green complex. Cause I can tell from my own experience, hitting shots into a green where maybe I wasn't sure where the slopes were or which way the green might kick or, you know, how much spin might pull the ball off the front of a green, how much confidence you have to hit a shot when you know how all that stuff's going to react. Obviously the green in conditions are different from year to year, if it's wet or if it's dry or whatnot, mm -hmm. but I think having that, that idea of what the greens are going to do is, is massive. So I, 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 I like how I like that approach and I'm definitely going to take more of that this year. Yeah, I think it's nice. I think um, if your practice round just consists of you playing the course, 18 holes, you're not gaining any information besides, you know, how you played that day. 
Right. Whereas if you spend a little bit of time, you know, chipping into the greens, putting on them, um, hitting wedge shots, figuring out how much they're spinning at that point, checking the weather, figuring out if the greens are going to firm up a little bit, how that's going to change um, the way your ball reacts landing into it. If the, what kind of grass you're putting on or, or hitting into, if it's Bermuda, if it's grainy, you know, all these different things. If you can use your time advantageously and, and practice rounds to try and figure as much information out as possible, that all that benefits your your tournament play. And and just for the listeners, you're not trying to shoot a score and then that you're not thinking that that's what you're going to shoot on the opening round, right? No, I, <laughs> there, it is a rarity that I... Uh, because I can tell pot. you, <laughs> everyone's yeah. like, I shot 85 in the practice round. I can't play this golf course. Like, well, uh, you approached it the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't tell you if I've ever shot a score in a practice round. Um, okay, that's what I want to do. that I've actually hit a putt at the hole that is, uh, that's Thank been you. that day. Thank you. <laughs> so so let's let's transition for a minute. I want you to take, your, take the, uh, the, the playing hat off and let's put that coaching hat back on. Mm-hmm. You're back at Western assistant coach for coach Beatty. And if you could talk to those players that are on that team now or any player around the world at that level, what are some things that you would recommend they do in order to get to where you are? Cause you've accelerated, you went to a division two school in the middle of New Mexico, and now mm-hmm. you've accelerated your career quite nicely. What have you done along the way that you can now give back to someone else in that position? Oh gosh. <laughs> I don't know. Listen to Coach Beatty. He, uh, <laughs> he does a good job. Um, I think finding the area of you, you need to know your strength and you need to work on that strength. I think a lot of people say you need to work on your weaknesses, which is true. But if you can't rely on that one thing, you know, that gets you around a golf course, it's pretty hard. So um, whether that be your chipping or your putting, just something, you know, that's a confidence booster and always kind of keeping that in touch because if that falls away, um, you might you might find yourself in kind of a dark area. Um, but then also, gosh, I don't know. I think as long as you can continually feel yourself improving so that that then comes to working on the things that you're poor at or, or what your stats say you're doing poorly. If you continually to slightly improve them, say a quarter of a short a year or even half a short a year or something, you know, just minimal that seems like, like not important, but over the course of a four-year college career, if you're, if your things, if your scoring average improves half a shot a year, and you start with seventy-three, you're doing a pretty good job by the end of your college career. You're you're shooting under par pretty much all the time. Um, but having, kind of, gosh, I don't know. That's such a hard question. <laughs> yeah, that I think you bring up a really good point in that we're not always looking for these monumental improvements. That mm. if we can improve, you know, a quarter of a shot around. over a period of a tournament depending on how long it is that's anywhere from half a shot to a full shot and you do that over a period of a season that's Mm -hmm. going to equate to a significant lower strokes uh a scoring average and then Mm -hmm. at the professional level a much bigger bank account yeah sure and so yeah that's that's where a detailed analysis comes in handy and and then really just you know uh, being patient pinpointing small pieces uh, small areas for improvement that are going to lead to little, little small size of uh, improvements. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I mean, over the course, I'm sure if you play for a long time, you know, your swing will improve just by the amount of reps you're putting and things will get better. But it's identifying kind of your areas of improvement that have huge impacts that like you could just be a terrible putter or something like that, you, or, or a really poor chipper or, or horrible from 
60 to 90 yards you know there's there's always areas that certain people are not as good at as other things or or it could be that you hit three fair, three fairways around or something you know there's little everyone's different but identifying initially your strength I feel like and making and being conscious that that's your strength and always you know keeping it checked in check and then figuring out where your weaknesses are as well and kind of just it's, it's really hard to do things you don't like like I'm a terrible person I, I do a terrible job at working on my wedges even though I know they're not awful but they could do with improvement but it's just hard to do things that you you know it's always easy to do things you like and do like I like hitting balls or doing hitting some putts but I'm not that fond of you know stepping up and using the trap man and hitting wedges for an hour and a half at different random yardages and not having you know great scores at it not seeing the results you want and it's just being annoying it's hard to do things you don't like to do so the ability to kind of learn that from as a freshman say you could just kind of that's a skill to hone to doing things you don't like to do is would be a very good good thing to learn yeah i i could not agree with you more and i like i really like what you said about you know a quarter of a shot a year or a half a shot a year i mean i think a lot too many people are expecting these five six seven stroke jumps in their score obviously you know at your level you're not going to experience that type of quantum mm -hmm. leap but even for the average 85 90 shooter they're thinking they're going to drop five six shots in a season just by doing a few things and it if it doesn't happen that way then they kind of lose steam and they lose momentum and they get frustrated, but it's such a long haul. And obviously you got to have so much time to dedicate to it mm -hmm. to, to actually put in the reps. Um, so I, I love that. I think that's huge take home for everybody listening and talk about that, that mindset too, because I really believe when you're coming out of like college or working your way up through the professional ranks, like, is there a, like a, a need to be a professional golfer for you like is it an internal driving factor to like i need to be playing golf at the highest stage because i think a lot of people say they want to but they don't need to right and if they don't need it then they'll find a way to not do the work that's necessary to get there so it's like where does that that motivation come from for you i don't really know um i think in college i i think i've put some time in but probably not the amount that um I would have if I felt like I was going to be a professional golfer from the get-go right um but I think when it became possible for it to happen then I did put in the time and things changed and I started putting some hours in um but I think if you're not doing anything else then then you'd be doing sitting around on the couch a lot if you didn't put some hours in it'd be pretty boring um I think it just depends on Certain people do different things. Some guys go out and play a bunch of golf. It just depends if you really like it, I guess. If, you, if you're if you not able to put the work in, um, then it's probably not for you unless you're extremely talented and you don't need to put much work in and it just kind of comes natural. Because um, at the end of the day, it's a shitload of work. Like, yeah, it's, I mean, not, yeah. it's not, you know, you're, you're, I mean, the talent will get you there for sure, but, I mean, it only can get you so far. Yeah. Gosh, yeah, you you got to put <laughs> just yeah you got to put some time in, um, and I think if you're able to work on things that you don't like doing, um, if you have the ability to do that, or if you know the alternate outcome is something that you'd like much less, and I think that's a good drive to uh, to put some hours in and do some work.
Yeah. I mean, the only reason I ask, and, and it might seem like a, a bit of an odd question, but like I, I played golf at New Mexico state for a year and a half, um, walked on there and just like watching the people I was playing with, I was like the way they were swinging. I was like, that player should be able to make it into the next level. Right. Like mm-hmm. they should be able to, but it doesn't always translate from like seeing, you know, a good golf swing or, low scores and qualifying to actually getting out there onto that, that next stage. And, and a lot of it, I think personally, my own opinion is that a lot of it is just not enough internal drive or, or, you know, motivated enough to, like you said, work on the things that you're not, you're not good at. So I think that's an interesting one of coming, just playing with people who you think should be sure fire things. And then they just don't end up panning out. Mm-hmm. I say a lot of that is um, I think you can learn how to hit the golf ball well and you can learn how to improve your technique and things, but it's hard to change uh, kind of emotionally how you're feeling inside internally, just say kind of how you handle pressure. Yeah. If you enjoy um, being in an environment where you're, it's a pressured environment, if you're doing well in a tournament um, or if you react poorly in those situations, that's something that's very difficult, I feel like, to change and that's kind of, that just comes with the person's maybe personality or just kind of their, just the way they are. Um, yeah, I think that's a big factor on, on kind of comfort levels. And then also I think um, traveling is a huge one. If people aren't comfortable being yeah. away from home or away from the people they're close to for extended periods of time, then that also has a detrimental effect on performance. So I think there's, um, yeah, golf swing's one thing, but then there's also kind of other aspects that lead into the successfulness of that person. You mentioned yeah. you mentioned the emotional side of being able to play under severe pressure or, or close out a tournament, be away from home, that kind of a thing. Mm. Do you feel like you have that skill naturally, or is that something that you've developed? I think um, for me, confidence takes time to build up, but when I feel confident, then it, I, I kind of, ride it for quite a long time but I think coming through the way I kind of developed from my professional career going through the sun country then playing some state opens um going through that route it kind of and seeing success at each level kind of having one multiple like a few times at one stage and then going to the next stage and winning a few times at that you kind of learn how to win or learn how, what it feels like to win learn to be in those kind of scenarios and get comfortable with it um and i think if you are used to winning um i think at a certain stage you kind of just figure that at the next stage you go up to you just win at that one as well just because you've done it in past kind of past his history presents kind of future possibility i guess that's a great point uh, i saw a quote from daniel berger from this past weekend's tournament um he said winning a, a golf tournament is like having a heart attack on every hole I saw that. <laughs> and so, you know, I thought back, I was like, that's pretty interesting because, you know, there's so much going around us and we kind of need to find the, the quiet within the storm. Mm-hmm. And um, the only way to experience that and to get better at it is from actually doing it. Yeah, it's definitely having experience in it. And then the more you do it, the more you get comfortable in it, the more things become normal, if you can say they're normal, I guess, those situations. Um but yeah, just experiencing those moments and, you know, realizing how your body reacts or how you feel in those situations and then um, just getting comfortable with how that is, is, is a big factor in being successful. 
Yeah, it makes me think of players who are kind of on the edge from playing Division One to Division Two or or any level. Mm-hmm. It, it might be a better idea to go to the, the lesser of the two schools so that you have an opportunity to play because you're never going to uh, get those yeah. experiences if you're if you're riding the bench. No, it's huge. I think the most important decision kids can make is going somewhere that they're going to travel. Playing is 100% the most important thing. Um, sitting on the bench for a couple of years, of two years, losing that two years experience. Say, say you weren't going to travel until your junior year or something. Not that you're not a very good player. It's just either the coach had that rule. He's just like, freshman, don't travel or you know, some strange thing that it just took you a couple of years to kind of get on the traveling team. You're losing two years of experience of, you know, situational things, just even learning you learn way more on a golf course than you do on a practice range. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd definitely say go to where you're definitely going to have a good chance to travel. Yeah. Speaking of traveling, I mean, following the European tour, the schedule is crazy. I mean, you guys go literally all over the world. Like it, mm-hmm. it should just be like, it should be like the global tour. I mean, <laughs> you guys aren't just staying in, in Europe. Um, you know, has, has that been a cool experience? I mean, do you, I mean, it's a little bit different in, in, you know, the time that we're in right now, as far as being able to maybe leave the hotel and, mm-hmm. and do some things outside, but is that pretty, pretty cool to be able to travel the world and like see Kenya and see, you know, India and see, you know, all these places that maybe you would never have the chance to go. Yeah, it's nice. Uh, yeah. There's definitely quite a few places I would not travel to unless I was playing a golf tournament and, um, yeah, it's very interesting seeing all the different cultures and, and seeing all the different, you know, golf courses. And I don't do a whole lot of kind of adventuring. Um, I'm not one of those guys. I just kind of like to play the golf tournament and go back to the room and chill and do what yeah. I enjoy. But, um, yeah, it takes you everywhere. One of my favorites so far, I we went to Brisbane, Australia. Um, kind of the December, December 19th. That's probably my favorite place. That city is really cool. There's a, so just you know places I wouldn't normally travel to, or or you'd maybe go to just because you're for you'd save up for a holiday or something. But you're traveling there just to work and um, getting to see the places as well. It's it's nice. It's cool. And they play that one term. What's that one tournament they play? It's like in is it in Switzerland up in the mountains there? Yeah, uh, Kronz is that Kronz is a golf course. Uh, yeah, I can't remember the yeah that course looks name, but yeah, that, that course that, looks insane. Really like cool. I. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, I think personally, like the European tour plays way, way more interesting golf courses than, than in the States. I mean, every, seems like every course in the States is just tree lined, hit it as far as you can and, you know, wedge it on. But it seems like those courses in, in Europe are a little bit more, you know, you know, a little bit more place the ball, put it in the right spot. Um, I don't know if you can, can speak to that, but it, it, is it feel like it's a different style of play in the States than it is over in Europe? Um, yeah, a little bit, I'd say. I think there's just a big variety in Europe. Through the course of a season, uh, there's a huge variety in golf courses. You start in the desert where it's kind of more more American-ish, um, where it's kind of wide open, not many trees, obviously, desert kind of golf. And then you go mainland Europe where every single kind of country has their own kind of style of golf course, so they change vastly. Um, I'd say when I played in America, it was – through college and stuff you learn to hit the ball a bit higher mm. um college golf greens weren't generally very firm a lot of soft greens um and i wouldn't say overly sloppy and then uh, europe you can get some i wouldn't say the greens are ever soft really it's a rarity that they're soft um 
but course style wise uh, just varies depending on country you're in because we play tree lined long rough you play desert uh, where there's not much you uh, yeah you get a little bit of everything yeah that's cool so going from stop to stop do you feel or like event to event do you feel like you have to kind of alter ball flight or you know do work things mm -hmm. with more spin or are you 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 know using track man and, and launch monitors to kind of okay if i need more the greens are super firm or or softer this week are you adjusting on the fly uh i wouldn't say i do personally i think um just to try and be as consistent as possible it's easier to stick to that one shot you hit all the time or the, your ball flight you just have your game and if your game travels it travels and if it doesn't work out maybe at one course and it doesn't work out but hopefully um it should work out most places obviously you're track manning um getting your numbers every week almost is different temperature elevation virtually on your contour so you have to travel quite well and um with with your yardages and be adjust quickly i'd say to kind of getting used to you know one week i think for example i think qatar will be around about sea level and maybe kind of mid 70s maybe maybe in the low 80s so that'll go you know so a certain distance and then kenya the next week i think will probably be a little warmer kind of maybe mid 80s and then i think it's a it's at a bit of elevation as well so i think you'll probably have a club difference between your irons traveling those two weeks but um just being able to adjust and kind of again that comes with practice rounds figuring out how far your ball flies um if you're mid just miss misjudging your shots into the greens and which way you're misjudging them and kind of adjusting that all those things go into it but when it yeah. comes to shot strategy tee shots and approach shots more of the you know normal shots mm -hmm. are you playing the same shot you kind of mentioned that are you playing the same shit ball flight or are you curving it both right and left i hit the majority of the time unless it's super windy or something i'll hit the same ball flight and same uh, shape of shot as often as I can I'll only ever shape it the opposite direction of my stock shot if it's required so there's a tree in the way or something but other than that I'll hit the stock shot I have 90% of the time and can, can you, you tell reiterate us? that for everybody <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah can can you explain how you how you do that for a pr approach shots whether the flag is left or right side of the green how, how do you approach that with your stock shot yeah, so I'm at the current moment in time. I'm hitting. Uh, when I'm hitting good, it's a very soft draw, and if I'm, my miss is a little pulley. Um, that's something I'm always working on. So I, I miss left a little bit. Um, if the flag's on the left, that's great. I'm having a really good chance of getting close to it. If it's in the middle, that's good. If it's on the right, I'm just not going to get that close to it most of the time, unless you know there's wind off the left or something that's helping it go towards the flag. But otherwise, that's a hole that um, you're just going to take you know, your 20, 30 feet or wherever you end up hitting it, depending, you know, wedges, you can have a go at it most of the time, but if you've got some sort of mid iron in your hand, then you're just going to take it on the green anywhere, really. Um, yeah, it varies. And if a hole, say a dog legs left to right, um, I'll just start it and there, and there's danger on the right, I will just end up hitting it in the left rough, probably. There isn't a time that I'll, it's very irregular that I'll try and shape it. Um, the shape of the fairway, I'll always just hit my straight to a, bit of a draw drive and just play that shot i think that's a really good point that you bring up and it would be very valuable for college players and aspiring professionals because sometimes we tend to overcomplicate it we watch mm -hmm. tv and we listen to you know 
these different things that go on on fades and draws. And the, sometimes the commentators and, and, the, and the shots don't give us a really good idea of what players are actually doing. And yeah. based on your what you just told me, it sounds like you aim towards the middle of the green. And if the flag's left, you're okay with that because your miss is going to end up left anyways. And then yeah. when the flag's right, you just kind of play to the middle again and know that you're going to have a longer putt on those holes. Yeah, I'd say um, it is not very often that I'll be aiming directly at a flag um, and taking it on. You're always aiming, you know, depending wind and things, always aim a little towards the safe side of things. In European tour, um, and I'm sure with most tours, the flags are really tucked. They're in places that if you miss it short-sided, it's going to be very difficult. So you're rarely aiming at a flag. Um, for me, I'm always looking at working it towards it from, yeah, from towards the center of the green. It might not be directly center. You might be aiming, you know, 15 feet right or 10 feet left or, you know, just, but you're, uh, it's a rarity that I aim at a flag. Unless it is a green light flag that is got little trouble around it that is more center of the green or you have a short wedge in hand, you know, something that you can be aggressive at with your dispersion being much tighter. Um, but yeah, it's definitely about being consistent with, um, and I think having a stock shot that you're a, a reliable shot that you kind of do all the time helps instead of trying to work the ball because different shot pack different shot shapes will have different misses for you mm -hmm. say your my miss is left a little bit if i start to try and fade it i can either miss it left or i can wipe it right a little bit so so different things have different results um and then just hitting the greens are important so whether you might not like it being 30 feet away but it's not you still got a chance for a birdie putt. Yeah, yeah it seems like when we start working it away from our stock shot we start to introduce the double miss these, mm -hmm. these uh, massive uh, shots that are well offline. And if, if we just stuck to our stock shot, things would be a lot simpler. Mm -hmm. well, I think, you know, say someone for, who fades the ball, their draw attempt may be, you know, just a slightly smaller fade. Even those, those things aren't bad to try if you can, if you know that's going to help get it close to a flag. But I wouldn't say going the drastic other direction of trying to, you know, if you have the ability to shape it both ways and it's very consistent then that's fortunate and that's a great thing to have to be able to work from the middle of the greens outwards all the time but for the majority of people i'd say um their shape is in one direction just being able to play that all the time will give them much better scores have you playing you know at the level that you're playing at now and on the stage you're playing at have you been able to maybe be paired up with a certain player or in a practice round and like really identify something that they're doing that kind of maybe you didn't think about approaching a course a certain way, or maybe just reaffirming what you believed, maybe a, a you know, a highly established player just sitting there hitting their little stock fade the entire way around a golf course and maybe kind of reaffirming your beliefs and that sort of stuff. Is there anything that you've picked up along the way from, from any particular players? Um, I guess you get little bits of things. I wouldn't say I've seen many players. Um, I haven't played with anybody who really works it both ways, who tries to fit the shot to the hole. I'd say everyone has their kind of shape and that's what they do. That's how they play it. Um, and I, I wouldn't say there's anyone that's done anything drastically different than what I've been trying to do or what I've seen. And then I think when you get start playing, I kind of stop paying attention to what's going on really within the group. I, I just, you're just playing your game and trying to get your ball in the hole. Um, if you're focusing on what other guys are doing often, then you're probably not putting enough, you know, uh, time into your, what, what you're doing yourself. Um, but nothing drastic. Nobody that um, has been drastically 
that's something I've never thought of. Or so I think most people do, you know, the normal stuff. Just some people do it better than others. Yeah, they're just a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Something that Keith and I always like talking about and asking people about is, is uh, mentors, coaches, people that were very influential in our lives. And you've talked yeah. a couple times about Coach Beatty. Now, I don't know him very well personally, but I've seen what he does a little bit. And I've heard from mm-hmm. some of the players that have come through that program. Can you talk to us a little bit about your relationship with him and some of the things that uh, you've learned through that experience? Yeah, I think Coach Beatty was a huge impact on my development. But I think Western as a whole, if I didn't end up going there, I probably wouldn't be playing professional golf. Um, I don't think it's something that it would have just been, oh, I was always going to do it no matter where I went. I think uh, my path was very fortunate for me and it's just worked out well. Um, yeah, he does a great job. We always, I think when I arrived, we had a load of foreigners on the team. I think there was maybe like eight of the 10 or nine of 11 were foreign, which made you know, traveling across the world at a relatively young age. I think I was 17 when I came over. Makes it feel more homely. So you don't, you're not kind of, you just feel like you're fitting in straight again. You've just got a bunch of guys that you feel kind of close to just because you're, they're from similar areas or, or doing a similar thing. So I think that helped me. And then um, coach was very good at um, kind of making you work on things you didn't like, but not, feeling as though you didn't like them, you know, kind of like putting them into qualifying games, you know, making things cart pass only, irons only, you know, no wet, just weird games that you'd, you'd work on little things that you didn't really think were anything at the time. But then you look back and like, oh, that probably did help at the time. Um, I think being able to play, I think I played almost every week, which was a huge factor that helped a lot. Um, a lot of rounds under my belt, which then put in experience and kind of just learning things along the way. And he was very good at kind of just helping you get better gradually instead of trying to like, it was just, yeah, it was just a good mentor. Very good. Yeah. It seems like he keeps in touch with his players long after graduating as well. Yeah. And a lot of guys, I, I think, you know, it's occasionally hit and miss. Some guys get on and there's the odd few that don't, but for the majority, everyone that I've been there with or knew, um, yeah, has does keep in contact and still does. And we've been gone for, you know, I think I graduated in 2016 the first time. So best part of four or five years now. And I think all my teammates still keep in touch. So, yeah, it has a big impact on everyone that seems to go there, which is nice. Do you have any mentors or, you know, connections out on the European tour, people that you like to play practice rounds with or go out to dinner with or, you know, that you've sort of learned a little bit from? Yeah, I think... Um, it seems to be in the European tour that most of the countries kind of stick with one another, not in a sense that they don't like other people, but I think it just kind of falls that way where you kind of just gather towards where you feel comfortable with or what feels like home. So I spend a lot of time with the the Scottish guys or a couple of the, even some of the English or Irish guys, just people that are from kind of close to where you are. Um, and then guys that are in my management group, the same as mine, is Bob McIntyre, who's doing well at the moment, um, Grant Forrest. And there are a couple of guys that are in the European Tour that are in the same management company that I spend some time with, which is nice. And both are doing well. So it's nice to kind of play practice around, see what they do, you know, things like that, learn a bit of pieces from some things that they're doing that maybe you're not doing or, or not doing as well as they are, things like that, which is nice. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so going forward, obviously um... – still very you know 
fresh on the European tour for you a couple seasons in. Um, are you a big goal setter or are you more of like a, let me just get a little bit better every day type person. And I trust that it will all kind of add up uh, to better rounds, better scores, you know, more mental yeah. mat maturity and all that sort of stuff. I've not been a terribly good goal setter, but I think I've been kind of like riding a nice wave yeah. as opposed to being um, setting specific goals. And I've, I've probably did that since uh, joining the Sun Country PJ in 2018. I think from there to last year was like a quick kind of just kept doing well and just kind of went with it. Um, then last year was the first time that I'd say I'd had a year that wasn't great. It was a pretty average year with not many successful tournaments. Um, and I think it was just because European Tour is obviously a step up from things I've been playing, the consistency and you know, uh, the bunching of leaderboards is much tighter. Your top tens are pretty much contending for the win as opposed to maybe sneaking in the back door and being, you know, eight, six, eight shots back from the leader, whereas now it's kind of everything's grouped much higher and closer together. Um, so I think it was a nice, like I said, COVID was a nice year of learning and I think it probably is good to get to the stage now where you are goal setting and just having like incremental smaller goals that you can check off and achieve and kind of feel accomplished throughout a season as opposed to judging everything off of like a year performance it's probably better to go through the year and have like little incremental things and be like tick check check and just have the kind of those boosters in within a year and um, that kind of keep you moving forward yeah I think everyone's different obviously you know like if if just riding that wave works and you just feel yourself getting a little bit better all the time and you know mm -hmm. it then it's like, you know, why change what I'm doing? It It's working. So mm -hmm. let me just keep hammering home on it. I mean, obviously to go from, you know, whipping Henry's ass in the sun country section to, um, you know, fourth place finish in on the European tour in a span of what, well, three years, that's, that's a, a wave that I think a lot of us would like to get on if possible. Um, so, I mean, that, that's, that's really cool, man. And, and I'm just, I'm pretty impressed by what you've been able to do. It seems like you're a, Thanks, yeah. a pretty uh, laid back dude too. It doesn't seem like it's really, you know, startling you too much. The fact that you've done all this in such a short amount of time. So that's really cool. Yeah. There's a lot of luck involved. I think it was nice. It was, a lot of stuff went my way. Yeah. <laughs> but you <laughs> couple, need that, I guess. <laughs> a couple 20 footers fall here and there helps you out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you uh, ever need somebody to wax up on, we'd be happy to play around <laughs> with you, boost your confidence. Yeah. That'd be good. I'd enjoy that. Go out to uh, yeah NMSU with Henry and play him from straight up. He'll he'll play the fronts. So you can play the tips and <laughs> yeah. I'll need shots after that. <laughs> That'd be a real dagger to my ego. I might I might have to give up the game. <laughs> I remember all the guys out there. Is everyone still you know kicking about the sun country and doing okay? Yep, everything's going pretty good. Our restrictions are quite tight at the moment. And so mm -hmm. uh, tournaments are a little bit different than they have been, but uh, we're hoping for a good season and all the guys are still playing and competing. Good stuff. So good yeah, it's good. Mm -hmm. I actually met a couple guys in Saudi from New Mexico State. Um, they said to say hi. I think they were in a group chat with some of the Sun Country guys saying that uh, they were just talking crap and then said to say hi. Um, I, I, it's terrible, I can't remember the name, but they both went to New Mexico State. Othman um, Al-Mula yeah. played in the event. He's a, yeah. a Saudi national. And then Curtis Clement um, caddied for him. That's I exactly went to, yeah. Yep, I went to school with both of them. Great guys. Yeah, they were chatting to me afterwards and said hi and stuff, which is, which is cool. Yeah, it's such a small world to be in that part of 
you know, the planet and then meet a couple of guys that have been, you know, to school a couple of hours down the road and know a bunch of people, you know, which is interesting. It was cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting how small things are, especially in the golf world. I mean, holy cow, Western New Mexico, all the way to Saudi Arabia. <laughs> yeah. And meeting people that, have, you know, been in the same place. It's cool. Callum, it's been great hearing your journey. I think it's really inspirational for people, um, kind of like yourself. I went to a small school, played two years of golf, didn't make you know the run in the professional ranks that you have, but I think it's very valuable for young people to see your route, to take maybe an academic scholarship, earn his way onto the golf team, getting a, a scholarship to play collegiately at a division two school and then a couple of good breaks along the way, boosting your confidence and taking you to the top of the world in, in golf. I mean, I really hope the best for you over the next few months and years. I think that you really have the ability to take it to the top and uh, we're all rooting for you here. Oh, thanks very much. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Callum, it was great meeting you, man. And, and, um, you. and I'll be, I'll be following your career very closely. And uh, anytime you want to come by and chat, maybe after your next win, uh, we'll have you on. All right, cool. Yeah, thank you. There's a there's a goal for you, Callum. Yeah, yeah come I'll, back. I'll work come on back it. on the show. <laughs> I'll work on it. Oh, one last thing. Where can uh, where can people find out a little bit more info if you if they want to follow you? you? Are you on Instagram or Twitter or or any of those platforms? Yeah, I'm on I'm on both of those, but I'm horrendous at social media. I'm terrible <laughs> at posting stuff, and I, I don't enjoy it, so I do a bad job at that. But I'm on there. You can find me. <laughs> All right, we'll look for you. All right. Perfect. <laughs> All right. See you, Callum. Have a good one. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Callum. Take care, Thanks, buddy. Guys. Cheers.